0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology.
1: Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. In this episode, we have some exciting news to share with everyone. We have a new collaboration. We will be joining forces with Axonius. In this episode, we speak to the CEO and co-founder of Axonius, Dean Sismon, to talk all about what this collaboration means, the founder story, the value story, and also the purpose story of Axonius and Hacker Valley Studio. This is an exciting time. We're so happy to share this episode with everyone. Let's jump right into it.
0: What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show.
1: Glad to be back again. And it feels really good to be in the studio today because we are joined by a very special guest this episode. Our guest is Dean Sisman. Dean is the CEO and co-founder of Axonius who we'll be speaking to quite a bit. Uh, But Dean, it's a true honor and pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Dean, this is a very special day and a special episode because we are announcing our partnership together. But first, before we get to all that exciting news, let's hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today.
2: Sure. And it it is a very exciting time. So I'm originally from Israel, uh, though I've been in New York for uh, several years now, and I consider myself uh, to be a New Yorker from the first moment I saw New York. I come, you know, from a very early age. I knew my passion was technology and computers, so I learned how to program by myself when I was 12. Then, you know, I was 15, I had two really interesting opportunities. One was to be in the team that Israel sent to the International Robotic Olympics in South Korea, where we won the gold medal, which was... Really exciting because when we got back to Israel people cared about what I did like this this programming thing that I was sort of like this the secret uh, you know obsession of mine people actually cared about which really opened my eyes to how technology can impact the world and then uh, when I was 15 I, I got this opportunity to be in a, in a special program that allows you to study for your bachelor's degree in computer science while you're still in high school so I finished that when I was 19. Then went into the Army, spent five years in Unit 8200, which is the Israeli Intelligence Corps' um, sort of equivalent of the NSA. Finished as a captain and met my, to be my two co founders in Exonia, Sofri and Avador, who we worked with the most in, in the Army between the three of us. After the Army, I was the CTO and co founder of another cybersecurity startup called Symmetria, which did cyber deception. Uh, that company got acquired um and now I'm the CEO and co-founder of Suns.
0: outstanding so now it's time to drop a little bit of that news Ron and I are officially a part of the Exonius family, and we are beyond excited about what we're having the opportunity to do. Ron and I are both stepping into the role of creative director. Ron's going to be focused on education, really teaching people like he always has. I always say that Ron is one of the best technical instructors I've ever seen. And then me on the media side, really continuing to push those human stories for everyone to inspire, to enlighten, and ultimately change cybersecurity and technology. And I just want to say first, thank you so much for seeing the value in us and what we've created over the last few years. And I wanted to ask, like, what was it about us that really attracted you to even coming to this type of conclusion?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I, I come from being on the operator side of cybersecurity originally. So I was doing the work. You know, I was a very technical guy, which unfortunately I don't get to spend a lot of time on anymore. But uh, when I got into the industry, I realized that because this has been something that, you know, if you, if you ask the practitioners like yourselves who have been doing this for a while, you know, if you go far enough into the past, people didn't care about this. You know, the the IT and, and obviously security was something that was more of an insurance for companies, right? You just uh, hire the people, you give them money, um, you check the box and that's it. you got to worry about your actual business. But today we're realizing that the use of technology is something that is enabled by security, right? Uh, The metaphor I like to use is if you're going around with a Ferrari around a racetrack, you want the brakes to be Ferrari too. If you would have had Honda Civic brakes on a Ferrari going around a racetrack, you wouldn't be going very fast because you'd be worried about your ability to control and, you know, change directions. And that, to me, is what security is to the use of technology in organizations. And the fact that things have become so, so noisy, let's call it, right? Everybody across the world, you you now say cyber, you say hacks, you say breaches. Every single person you'll talk to will have a story. They're like, yeah, you know, I read about this and... uh, you know I was in this company that happened this I have this friend whose company went through ransomware everybody's interested in this and this is drawn and you know a huge spotlight to the industry and what's happened is all this noise is distracting you know the people in the trenches right the practitioners the people who are defending organizations this is all you know becoming a big distraction for them to really understand What's the right technology, right? What's the right approaches? What are the advancements? How do I do my job better? And the reason we saw our partnership be so beneficial to those people, right, the people who are actually defending organizations or making them secure, is because you need to find the right voice and the right way to show them, first of all, you know, we're getting up every morning and working really hard because we want to help you do your job better. We want to make you heroes. We want to grow your careers. And you still have to cut through the noise. And what uh, you uh, you two have done amazingly is be able to do that.
1: You know, one of the key words that you just mentioned was story. When you, when someone talks about their experience with cybersecurity, there's always a story. When someone speaks about their practice of cybersecurity, being a practitioner, there's always a story behind that. And I think our synergy really was a story. The story was a mix between value, purpose, and also your founder story. You told us a story about why you started Axonius in the first place. And it really started at your previous startup when you were focusing on deception technology and what I heard really inspired me. I thought, wow, I have to join this company. I have to take this story even further. Can you share that founder's journey and how Axonia started?
2: Of course. I was at this huge, huge US company, one of the biggest that I can't say the name of. You know, They reached out to us in my previous company, said we wanted to do a bake-off of a Deception product. We're bringing in you guys and others. So I flew there in person to their you know Midwest headquarters and uh, we're starting to deploy our solution. And you know, like like most deception vendors, it was it was based on on something similar to Honeypots, right? Is these virtual machines that are decoys that are totally monitored and you put them in the network and you know, do whatever you can to get any kind of threat that's in there to interact with those machines because then you discover them and you get, you know, enough IOCs to, to be able to do something about it. So we deploy our solution, then after about a couple of days, we see something interacting with it. Not It's not just interacting, it actually used a credential that we put in a real machine to install code on our decoy, right? And we look at this code, we look at the IOCs, and this is, you know, based on that data and, and evidence... Something that has been researched, a group that's been researched by a lot of other companies before. It just seems like an active group that's been, you know, doing it for many years. You know, and it's been attributed by the other companies to the Chinese um, state government. So at this point, you, you would imagine me to be really like, Yeah, we nailed this this POC, right? Like these these guys are gonna <laughs> these guys are gonna buy, like who, you know, it's nothing better than finding a Chinese APT in your network. So I go to them and I show it to them. And uh, they're like, well, great. Thank you for showing this to us. Uh, let's, you know, let's keep working. And I'm I'm a little surprised that this is the, the level of, of uh, excitement I get from their reaction. So I say, why, you know, why isn't this more surprising to you guys? And they said, well, you know, we got a tip that this might be happening from someone, right? And uh, that's why we brought you guys in to do it. So thank you for confirming it for us. But more than anything, there's not really much we can do about it now. And I said, well, look, you know, there is a host name, there's an IP address of the machine that they came from, right? The machine they're operating from. And uh, we can look into that machine and, you know, understand more and maybe even start doing the incident response steps of of kicking them out, cleaning the network. And they said, well, yeah, we're not going to be able to find that machine. And I said, no, no, this is not a decoy or anything. This is your machine, like a real machine in the network. And they said, yeah, we're not going to be able to find it. And and I said, what do you mean? And, And they're like, you know, this is a part of the network that we don't really understand well. And I said, but you're the global security team. <laughs> he said, yes. And I said, well, this looks like uh, an endpoint, a workstation, at least based on the, you know, like MAC address. And I said, you know, what if there's a person behind the keyboard of this machine and they want something to happen to their computer? I don't know. They want to install Office. What happens? He said, well, they'll open a ticket and then, you know, IT will use uh, one of the tools that we have. To manage endpoints, to install that, to install Office. And I said, Well, fantastic. Let's w- which tools are those? That, that way we can go into the tool console, look up the IP or host name, and find. It. They said, uh, we don't know. And I said, What do you mean? How many tools do you have? They said, We we don't know how many. And I said, Okay, can we like spend some time figure that out? And they're like, uh, okay. Then we spent a couple hours of them, you know, texting and calling people. And they end up giving me this list of about 20 plus different tools. And I said, wow, okay, that's way more than I thought, but we can still go through each one and go through each one, at least the ones we have access to, some we don't. And they don't find it. And I said, okay, well, you know, let's go to the SOC. You guys control the SOC, right? It must be there. And we look up those, you know, those things, and uh, there's way too many results. There's really no way to understand what this thing is. And then we go to the networking team. Same. We finished that day by them just emailing people. Do you know what this machine is? And I go to bed that night and I'm like, no way, this, this makes no sense, right? Like I can't <laughs> even go to, I can't even put myself to sleep. I'm like, this is one of the best, most funded cybersecurity teams on the planet. We just found an APT in their network and we can't figure out why a machine is there. And I go to them the next day and ask them, do you, do you know how many devices you guys have? Just a number. And they go, yeah, we have between one and a half to 3 million. And I look at them, I'm like, but guys, you know, not, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but doesn't that mean you don't know? They go, no, you know, the network's like really dynamic. And I said, yeah, but let's take finance as an example. If you look at, you know, a CFO, there's money coming in and out all the time. But if you ask them how much money is on the balance sheet, they wouldn't say, oh, we have between 100 to $200 million, right? That, that <laughs> amount of variance. Is concerning, right? It's like going to a parent, how many kids do you have? I have between two and four. Um, <laughs> like, you should you should have a better answer. And the more I talked to them about it, I realized there really is nothing that they could have done to be in a better spot. It wasn't that they, were, they weren't doing their job well. It's just that that's, this was an industry-wide problem. Then I started asking every CISO, every CIO I would meet, do you know how many devices do you have? And they would say, either I don't know or the, you know a, a really wide range to mean the same thing.
0: And you know, that's a crazy origin story for any type of hero. And we do think you are a hero because you're doing something that I think is valuable for any enterprise to really look at. But along the way, I'm sure you've developed these values. Our time speaking to some of your execs, speaking to you, speaking to your employees, we realized that there is a deep, deep entrenchment of values that everybody sort of echoes. Where did those values really start for you? And how did you bring them to life in Exonius?
2: Deep question. So let's, uh, let's try and start <laughs> answering it. You know, I'm a really, I'm a really open person. I, I really believe in the value of truth. I'll, I'll be a little open now with my answer because I think it's important. So I, I grew up uh, in Israel. I wouldn't be able to say I had a, I had a simple childhood. It was, it was really complex from an economical and social perspective. There's definitely people who have had it worse than me, but it was a really challenging situation. And from the day I grew up, I knew that whatever I wanted in life, I would have to earn. Uh, Nothing would ever be given to me. You could call it, you know, sort of a a scar. uh, You know, you could call me broken or damaged or messed up or whatever kind of negative term you'd like, uh, which I would accept. But it made me be this really ambitious, crazy, goal-oriented person that if I don't get up in the morning and I have this very, very challenging thing that is meaningful to the world, right? It provides value to people, it provides impact. I really don't know how to live my life if I don't have that. And that's why, you know, in the army and after the army in, in, in Symmetria and in Exonius, what, what I've learned is that when, when I give people the ability to do something that allows them to grow, that allows them to become as, as much of a better version of themselves as possible, that's something that to me is the meaning of my life, right? And when I left the army and when you know, I started Exonius, I saw that there's us you know, securing organizations, there's the people both on the vendor side, on the practitioner side, that are incredibly smart and talented people. And they get into situations where either their organization doesn't believe in them or doesn't see their potential. And what we wanted to do here, and this is how we see ourselves as unique much more than our solution or the product or anything, is that we give people the opportunity to grow as much as possible. And the way to do that, by the way, is by definition, growth happens outside your comfort zone. So growth feels uncomfortable. And being comfortable to be uncomfortable, sort of what, what I think is, is the only thing that I would say is different about me than, than other people. But really to see, you know, we've started Exonius a little over four years ago. We're now about 230 people globally. We have people here who started, you know, entry level. They're now managing dozens of people for the first time in their life. And they're incredibly successful. We see some of our customers who are able to secure their organization through COVID, through amazing missions, you know, federal agencies, healthcare organizations, finance organizations. And whenever a customer tells us, because of us, they were able to do their job better. They were able to secure their organization better. To me, that's worth any challenge in the world. So that's best as, as an answer I can provide to that question.
1: That That's so true. Growth does happen outside of the comfort zone. And it can be uncomfortable sometimes. And when you watch any movie or hear any story, you know, there's a normal part of the story, right? The How the character typically behaved. And then there's a turning point. And a lot of people refer to it as the inciting incident. It's the point to where you see a new world and you can no longer go back. And I remember when this happened for Chris and I on the podcast, we had a guest come on. His name was MK Palmore. And he looked at us and said, wow, you guys are really inspiring young business owners. And at this time, we weren't business owners, but we knew at that very moment we were on to something. We were creating something that the world hasn't seen before. And at that point, we couldn't turn around. We had to proceed forward and make this thing a business. What were some of those challenging times for you at Axonius or even outside of Axonius where... You saw that turning point. You saw a new world and realized that you can no longer go back.
2: <laughs> yeah, so these, these would be funny stories, embarrassing at the moment, but uh, <laughs> but entertaining in retrospect, right? That's, that's usually the best kind of story. So I'll tell you the story of, uh, of our uh, very first customer. I won't say their name because they're not a public reference, but a very well-known brand that took a chance on us, right? Um, it took us about a year to get the product um, really to a level where you could put in the hands of customers, and initially we just burnt like a bunch of customers, right? Like our very first POCs, uh-huh. just the product didn't work. It it turned out like the customer felt we totally miscommunicated yeah. what they would get, and just people said like, "Look, guys, you pretty much wasted our time. Uh, you know, please leave." <laughs> and yeah. that was and that was pretty bad, but. In retrospect, that was something that we needed to do. I mean, there's a famous saying by the founder of LinkedIn, Reed Hoffman. I hope I'm not misquoting, but he said that if you're not embarrassed by your first version, you you release too late, right? right. Um, yep. and, uh, and and we burned those few customers. And then stress was starting to build up because we're like, okay, you know, we have a product that's not working well for the customers. It's been over a year. There's really like this this pressure around, is this working out or not? So we get to this customer again. We start a POC. This, uh, you know, a U.S. company based in California. This guy, we didn't even know him. He just read an article about us when we did our PR on uh, fundraising or, or RSA, I think. He just went on the website and booked a demo. And this is like magic, right? Like this, when you when you create a product for the first time, you see somebody interested in you've never talked to. It's like wow, I, I created something out of nothing. So we got a demo, he explains exactly, he has the same problem like everybody else. He doesn't see his environment well enough. He doesn't have control. He's tried like network based products before, they don't do the job. Um, He's tried agent based and that's very partial. And he says it's a big risk for us not to understand what's in our environment. So we start a POC and just like the other ones from the beginning, tremendous amount of, of issues on our side, right? Like the product has a lot of bugs. They need a bunch of features we don't have. And we just, you know, we just did every single thing we could. We just really said, this is do or die. Like, we got to make this this work out. And after a few weeks of working together, we had set to meet in Black Hat. Uh, this is exactly actually three years ago in Black Hat in August. And I finish, and we have like a POC wrap-up call with the the hands-on guy in the morning. So I go on the call, and he goes... Well, guys, I sent out an email of the summary of what we did. Is there anything else of value that you think I missed and that you think I should mention to our upper management? Now, to me, this was code word for you guys aren't aren't valuable enough. Um, <laughs> this we're not going to buy. And I was like, oh man, this is terrible. Like, why <laughs> why can't we get this right? Like, I know the value, I know the problem. Why can't we make it happen for the customer? And then in the afternoon, I meet with. He was a senior director at that time, I think, of uh, security architecture. And uh, right before Nate, our CMO, um, which you guys know very well, I, I talked to him and I said, look, you know, he's he's going to tell us he's not buying. This is going to be a disaster. And and Nate just goes, well, why is he not going to buy? And I said, look, they got a lot of value, but there were a lot of issues that happened along the way. And he said, well, do we do anything about it? And I said, yeah, we actually fixed each one like within a couple of days, but there were a lot of them. And, uh, you know, the value that we showed is, is really deep and differentiated. Specifically, we showed them there, there's a huge gap in their, in their agent deployment that they didn't know about. So he said, okay, let's show a presentation of, you know, the value we showed, but also a timeline of, you know, the features, the, the issues, when they came up and when we fixed them. And I said, fine. So we go, uh, this guy, he comes into our room, we meet with him. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to buy. <laughs> and I'm like... I, I'm trying to keep my composure. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, well, well, that's great to hear. What Mixi said, that. and he said, well, yeah, guys, you know, we we understand what it's like to work with a startup, right? We didn't expect you to be mature or you know not have issues. But first, the value you showed us is something that you know—the only other way I could have gotten was to I don't know do a lot of manual work, and by the time we'd have finished, it, it would have not been valuable anymore. And second, you know, every issue you guys had, you fixed within a few days. I have vendors that I report issues to and they talk to me about which quarter they're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, then I went into negotiation mode. We negotiated how much money we were going to get. <laughs> uh, when he left the room and I closed that door, that was like a big moment in my heart, and my mind of, this is real. Like what we thought this is, it is. There's a lot more work to be done. There's all more to build. But like I told, you know, everybody in our company on all hands, I said, what is the determined determining factor of our success. It's the problem. This is a deep, painful problem that every organization has and and needs to solve. Second, it's the product that shows value very quickly. It's really easy to deploy. Third, this is just as important, the customer experience. Are we really showing our customers we care about them? Are we really trying to give them value, to make them heroes in their organization, to help them do their job better? All
0: those things will lead to business
2: success, right? Um, And that's what you should be chasing after. Um,
0: not the other way around. That is an awesome story. And it really highlights something, taking a chance on something. And I just have to say two things from both Ron and myself's perspective is that you and Nate were adamant about us maintaining ownership of Hacker Valley. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate that. We appreciate that. And it just shows the values and the forethought that you all have as a company. But the second thing is you told us that you wanted Ron and I to be the voice of Exonius, and that's taking a serious chance on two guys that have built something and we're going to continue to do great work for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that thought process behind giving us that chance?
2: Of course. Like we talked about our values, understanding how hard and how challenging, but how profound. Our jobs are our missions as practitioners in this industry. Whether whether you're on the vendor side or the, you know, the practitioner side, whether you're in government or in, in the commercial space, whether you're in healthcare or in a large company or small company, there's a, a saying in, in in the Israeli intelligence corps. Some people call ourselves. We call ourselves cyber warriors, right? Like because it's not you're not an engineer. You're a warrior. You're out there in the field. You're you're fighting this adversary, uh, whether it has a face or not. About protecting your own right and we wanted to show that we're not in this to make uh money or or get fame or uh have an exit or have you know know, luxurious parties at rsa or black hat we're doing this because we want to provide that value. we want to provide that meaning we want to make people heroes within their own organizations we want to help them achieve you know as much of the potential as they can in their career. And, and we realize we can't do that objectively using our own voice. We can talk about it oh, You know, You are you're hosting me, I'm talking about it as much as I want. But we need both our customers to say that uh, because that's the most objective way. And you can go on our website and see a lot of customer references where people call us the most valuable vendor they work with, the most responsive vendor they work with. And I'm incredibly proud of that. But handing, you, the ability to be our voice is with the understanding that there's been a lot of mistrust or distrust between the vendor side and the industry side because of people who didn't have their objectives or their values in the right place. And when you do have your values in the right place, it's really easy to create trust. It's really easy to have trust.
1: One of the things that we really synergized on also on top of that is like, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, the FUD that is spread throughout the industry and how we wanted to really change that narrative. You you keep mentioning helping others grow, helping organizations be the hero at their organization, helping teams save time and money and headache and heartache and and all of that. And I think a lot of people can be inspired by that notion. You giving us the opportunity to uh, be the voice of the company. You giving others the opportunity to get their time back by implementing great solutions. Who are your inspirations when it comes to like growth and and that type of mindset?
2: I have many inspirations in my life, but I draw a lot of inspiration from our own people, from our own you know customers, from my employees, from our partners. That's who inspires me all the time. Uh, I have people in my life who inspire me, right? Uh, my co-founders, my spouse and life partner, Lynn, who inspires me. People I looked up to as mentors when I was in the industry and in the army. I could tell you one one interesting story is uh, Ofri. Ofri, my co-founder and our CTO in our company. He was my commanding officer in the army for almost my entire service. He's, he's an amazing figure. And funny enough, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I could be a very stubborn and, and, you know, very single-minded kind of person. I don't, I don't know if this is a <laughs> or not. I'm sure this is very true for a lot of people in our in our industry that gets us drawn to what we do. But when I got into the Army, I was this, like, brash, you know, rude kind of young soldier that, like, didn't put a lot of trust in anybody, didn't believe anybody, made, you know, was, was right, didn't have any kind of, uh, um, you know, integration with the system and and people didn't didn't want me on board they they thought i would just cause trouble and i wouldn't be valuable and a free took a leap of faith on me he said you know i want this guy in my team um, and he had a lot of work cut out for him to you know <laughs> to housebreak me right like it's that analogy in the movies or books where the hero sees like this horse that's untamable and then you know he uh, is able to to work with him and then he becomes the most successful tourist ever the most loyal horse That was sort of my story with Ofri. Like, because he believed in me where others didn't, because he spent the time and the effort to show me how to grow, how to be a better person, to this day I feel indebted to every person for me to do that for them, to believe in them. And if you look at our company, many of our executives, many of our leaders have been the first person who have done that job, and they're now leading dozens of people, right? So I'll take Joe, our, our SVP of sales. He was the guy who closed that first deal, that purchase order from that customer I told the story of. He closed that deal, and to date, he's still leading our sales, and now he has dozens of people reporting to him. Nate, who's a guy who was our first U.S. hire, obviously our first marketing hire, he's now our CMO. He's leading a team that's more than double the biggest team he's ever led before in his career, and to me, that's irreplaceable with, with anything else. That, that's more important and more valuable to me than, than anything else.
0: Dean, doing great work with great people is really a dream for anybody out there in the world, no matter if they're in cybersecurity or technology or outside of it. And I'm thinking that there's someone out there that is on the possible adjacent of their research, of their career, of their product, building a company, and They're going into that uncharted territory. I'm sure you're doing so much with Exonius that's brand new. No one's ever been there before. And even as a person, and even just this partnership that we have here, this is something new and courageous. What piece of advice would you have for those that are out there sitting at that, that precipice? They're going to go out into a place that doesn't have a blueprint that they can watch or look at to tell them what to do next. What advice do you have for those folks out there that are jumping into the unknown?
2: Yes. Yeah, so first of all, we have a lot of open positions, so feel free to look into our uh, <laughs> website and uh, look into careers. To be a little more serious, first of all, if you're going into a role where you're a hands-on person, you know, understand this is what helped me be a better let's call it an employee. Understand that the system or the organization you're in is flawed. Every organization, every system is flawed, and the way to understand how to provide value is to accept those flaws and find the ways to either work around them or take advantage of them and understand that sometimes even that flaw might be something that's purposefully there because of something you don't understand in the strategy or um, you know don't don't see from your own viewpoint. If you're a leader, if you're a manager, I would say make your people superheroes. Find a way to make them heroes within the organization. Give their own reputation, and brand, their own personal brand in their organization, a place to grow. Because if you grow your team, that is the most impactful reflection on you as a leader. I can tell you if I see you know, a certain team where people are incredibly successful, I look at that manager and ask them, what did you do? How can I make other managers do the same thing? How can I make sure that your leadership abilities and concepts are, are as widespread in the organization as possible? But I will say one thing, if your organization doesn't have the right values or the right transparency for you to align with, I think you're, you're not going to be able to really grow um, under that situation.
0: Dean, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us today. We are beyond excited to be on this journey with you. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things that we're doing at Exonius, what are the best ways that people can do that? so uh,
2: uh feel free to go on our website exonius.com um, all the resources all the information is there if you want to talk to us you can book a demo you can even trial the product yourself uh, we have a 30-day self-serve free trial and if you want to email us uh, you can email me directly dean at exonius.com um, i And looking forward to have conversations with you
1: awesome we will be sure to drop all of those links and your email in the show notes definitely check it out. Dean's there. Chris is there. I'm there. We are all there and we are going to get better together. Thanks so much, Dean. And we'll speak to everyone next time.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.